0: Father, thank you um, that we have such great promises that we can still our soul around your character and truth. That uh, Jesus holds us fast and has demonstrated his power and ability by going to the cross and rising from the dead. And Lord, uh, we confess that we need we need those promises alive. We need those meditations that we just sung about. We need those in our minds and hearts every day. So would you minister to us through this psalm that we might find you in the midst of life struggles. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, about uh, three miles from my childhood home in Southern California is a school called Chapman University. And maybe you've heard of it, uh, maybe you haven't. It was a little school when I was growing up. Now it's something of a a prestigious school. Uh, Every year they do a survey that's kind of odd. They survey Americans to discover what are their top ten fears. They haven't done this year's yet, but let me read to you their top ten fears that Americans face, at least as of 2022. I'll go from the tenth all the way up to the first, okay? So we'll do it backward here. The tenth most feared reality that Americans report, biological warfare. Number nine, the pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Number eight, economic or financial collapse. Number seven, not having enough money for the future. Number six, pollution of drinking water. Number five, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Number four, people I love dying. Number three, and this was new from previous years, Russia using nuclear weapons. Number two, people I love becoming seriously ill. And the number one fear of Americans in 2022 corrupt government officials. Quite a spectrum, isn't there? From very personal to very global. But in a fallen world, fears of all kinds are normal, everyday experiences. I, I, I bet you've had fears this week, maybe little, maybe big. Maybe you've had fears this morning. I was uh, walking into the church Friday and went to use the restroom, and uh, fear rose up in my heart momentarily as I saw a small little creature in the men's restroom Staring up at me with one of those big tails that has a stinger on the end of it called a scorpion. I think he had drunk some poison. He looked like a drunk uh, scorpion, but uh, nonetheless, that stinger works whether he's all there or not. So, little fears like that, global fears like we've talked about here nuclear war, financial collapse, a loved one dying. In a fallen world, fear is a normal experience. The Puritan John Flavel defines fear as the trouble or perturbation of mind from the comprehension of approaching evil or impending danger. Now, we don't talk like that anymore. Maybe we should. But if we could modernize it a bit, we would say... It's that trouble of heart that you and I experience when we're experiencing danger or anticipating danger. It's that that displeasure, that trouble, that, that rising up in the heart that happens when we comprehend approaching evil or impending danger. And if you think about it, I mean, fear fear runs a huge gamut. From momentary tension, like if you see a scorpion in the bathroom, to extreme debilitation, panic attacks, PTSD symptoms, and chronic issues like that. In a fallen world, fear is normal. As we come to our Bibles today, uh, the Bible is no... Stranger to fear. The Bible talks about fear a lot. Uh, I've not done the arithmetic on this, but I'm told that the most common command in the Bible is what? Do not fear or fear not. Uh, the, The Bible directs us in regard to our fear. God commands our emotions as he does All emotions and he commands our fear. If we open up our Bibles and and we try to get a bird's eye view of understanding fear, if it's common and the Bible talks about it, uh, the Bible reveals to us that, that there are basically three types of fear. There's natural fear, which is what happened to me in walking into the men's room when I saw the scorpion, a, a rational fear of actual danger that directs us to safety or caution, right? This is the fear that when you step out in front of, and you didn't see the car and you immediately stop and you back up, this is the fear that keeps you from stepping on a scorpion and all sorts of other things. That natural fear, that normal fear is, is a rational response to actual danger that keeps you and I from harm. But as so often the case, something that, that God, builds und, God builds into us as a good thing can very quickly morph into a sinful thing. And, and most often the Bible talks about sinful fear, which is where that, uh, that natural fear sometimes becomes an occasion for distrusting God or irrational thinking or avoiding clear biblical instructions. And, and as I mentioned, that, that fear, that, that sinful fear can get to a point that it's, it 's a chronic life issue it 's completely debilitating. It takes over your life and then the Bible talks about a a godly fear a fear of the Lord, and that is if you 're new to christianity that that might sound a little bit strange, but you 'll see that little phrase, The fear of God or the fear of the Lord all over the Bible as a mark of spiritual health and and Godly fear, the fear of the Lord, is defined as a a, a an honoring of God motivated by love which drives us to honor and obey Him. It's, it's living for His smile. It's, it's living for His honor and glory instead of our own. So three types of fear, natural fear, sinful fear, and godly fear. But, but the struggle most often happens when our fear becomes sinful and it begins to take over. And maybe even as I'm talking about scorpions and loved ones and nuclear war and all that, maybe something right now is coming to mind where you say, you know, I am dealing with fear. There are things in my life that I dread and things that keep me up at night. And you understand the difference, right? You know, fear is, is that dread, that trouble of heart. When you continually dwell on your fear, when when, when your fear is continually being a, a source of focus, we call that anxiety or worry. Anxiety and worry is a preoccupation with particular fear. And that's the difference between fear and anxiety. But both of these things are troubling, and I, I, I bet if we went around the room, we would all say, yeah, Pastor Keith, we all deal with this at one level or another. Well, as we come to Psalm 56, as you heard it read a moment ago, we recognize that this is one of those psalms that's all about the experience of fear. Uh, and actually, we, we get a little bit of help um, if we look at the, uh, the historic superscript there you see right at the beginning of Psalm 56 it says there a tom of David when the Philistines seized him at Gath. So apparently this psalm was written by David and the occasion is when he went to Gath he was fleeing from Saul. Now now what famous person in the Bible was from Gath? Do you remember? Goliath and this is shortly after David kills Goliath this, this happens uh, if you want the, the reference your Bible might have it in a footnote there the The historic events behind this psalm happen in 1 Samuel 21 verses 10 to 12 and, and on through the end of the chapter there we, we won't turn there right now but suffice it to say what's happening is David is fleeing Saul remember uh, God told Saul you have lost the kingdom and that kingdom has been given to David David has just killed Goliath and and, and the song of the town, right, right? The community is all singing this song about, you know, Saul has, has killed thousands, but David what? His tens of thousands, right? So so the people's admiration and confidence is moving from Saul to David. Saul didn't like that. And as you know, he spends most of the book of 1 Samuel uh, uh, chasing david and and trying to kill him so that that that's what our psalm is focused on here david picks up his pen in the midst of fleeing from saul as he goes to gas this is the the story where he pretends to be crazy he pretends to be mad as a means of escape but in the midst of that moment of of fleeing for his life of dealing with fear he writes this song and uh i i th- this I, this song has been special to me for a long time in fact i was Pastor Terry asked me if I would fill in today, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I was just kind of looking through some ideas, and I was really surprised that I don't think I've taught on this psalm before, because I I love it, I quote it, I've memorized most of it, and I have found this psalm to be so helpful in the ordinary battles of fear. So, So whether your fear is ordinary, mundane, occasional, or whether you are experiencing one of those attacks of chronic and heavy fear, I think that we will find great comfort and direction in this psalm today. And I hope to to show you as we look at this psalm together, nine pursuits to find God in your fear. Nine pursuits to find God in your fear. Um, That's a lot to cover. We'll have to keep moving. But I was telling Curtis this morning as we were talking about this uh, there is so much good stuff here, guys. There is so much here, and even David, in the poetry in, in the in the musical part of this, he does things that are so instructive and so insightful that I hope we can walk away saying the next time fear arises i 've got a road map i 've got a, a direction to follow i 've got steps to pursue so that I can meet God in the midst of fear did you Did you know that? Our fear is nothing more than an occasion to draw near to God and to find Him. Like all the troubles in life, as God redeems them for His glory, every trouble is an occasion to draw near to God. And that's what this psalm illustrates for us, okay? So let's look at the the first of nine pursuits. Uh, How do we find God in our fear? Here's the first one. Turn to God for needed grace. Turn to God for needed grace. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. Isn't this what fear sounds like? When you're wrestling with fear, when you're wrestling with anxiety, when you're up at night trying to sleep, this is what your soul sounds like. Details. Man has trampled upon me fighting all day long. He oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me. Many are are out there. We we talk about the danger, don't we? We we talk about the particulars of what's troubling us. And that's what David is doing here. And you'll notice he's in some really, really difficult issues here, isn't he? Saul is literally trying to kill him and he's bringing men to pursue David. David's all by himself. There's 300 guys that are going to meet him, we know, later on. But as he's fleeing, he's fleeing alone. He says, two times they've trampled upon me. Two times they're fighting all the day. And notice the repetition of that phrase, all day. As David puts this together in the poetry, he's saying, this is a chronic assault. This is a day and night ordeal. And, and as you know, fear's like that. Fear does not let up easily, does it? And yet we see something so simple in this psalm that we're prone to overlook it. Whatever that source of danger is, is provoking fear in David's life. What does he say? When when, when fear or any distressing emotion for that matter arises, often, often the most important question to ask is this, where do I turn? In fact, just think about that for a minute. When distressing emotion hits, what is the autopilot of my soul running toward? And again, guys, it's so simple. It's a Sunday school answer, but it is so important. David says what? Be gracious to me, O God. He turns to God for help. He doesn't turn to Google. He doesn't turn to a friend. He he doesn't just muse in his heart. He immediately turns to God for help. And that's the key to see, guys, where we turn, not after the fear has been going on for hours and days and weeks, but where we turn in the moment it first arises is critical. Everything this psalm is going to say downstream is not very helpful if we don't first turn to God for help first. To turn... To him and ask for his grace as he says here be gracious to me O god okay so where do you turn where, where do i turn in fear we want to turn to god first in any distressing emotion we want to train the cruise control of our hearts to turn to god first to turn to him for help to ask for needed grace now now what's interesting i want to show you this if we can just back up for a second before we move on to the next point This psalm is going to illustrate two conversations. And this is part of the genius of the psalm. This is part of the takeaway of what I want you to walk away with today, okay? What David's going to demonstrate is that when we're dealing with fear, we have to be having two conversations that are going to lead us to a better place in our fear. And we've seen the first conversation. Who's the first person he talks to according to verses 1 and 2? Talk to me here. Who is it? God, right? So the first conversation, the most important conversation, is in his fear, in this emotion, in this difficulty. He's going to start a conversation with God. That's conversation number one. Now now watch this. As the psalm develops, he's going to shift between talking to God and then he's going to start another conversation. Not to his wife. Not to his best friend. Not to some online social media pal. He's not texting a friend he's going to start a second conversation with himself. The two most important conversations that you need to have when you're dealing with fear is a conversation with God and a conversation with yourself. Follow me on this, okay? What this psalm is going to illustrate is David goes to God, crying out to God, asking for his mercy, asking for his grace, and having communed with God he comes back to his own heart and then he begins to converse with his own heart in light of what he's remembered in talking to God. Does that make sense? This is spiritual sanity when you and I struggle with fear. A conversation with God leading to a conversation with self. Back to God, back to self. Back to God, back to self. And those are the two rails that guide us to a better place. We have to talk to God but then we have to then talk to ourselves. And so, as so often the case, what, what do we typically do? We don't talk to God. We listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. And then we go talk to a whole bunch of people and look to a whole bunch of sources that aren't really helpful. So we're turning away from those misguided places and we're coming back to say, turn to God first, that's conversation number one, and let that conversation then lead to you and I having a conversation with our own hearts in light of what we've learned. Okay, does that make sense? And and I'll try to point it out to you as it happens, but you'll see all throughout this psalm, not just this psalm, this happens in other psalms too, conversation with God, conversation with self. And that is the course of spiritual help that this psalm helps us to see. Okay, are you with me? Is that making sense? Okay. Point number two. What's the the first pursuit? Turn to God for needed grace. We're going to find God in our fear. Look at the second pursuit with me. Direct your heart to trust in God, the God whose word you praise. Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? The remedy for fear is so simple. A sparky could understand it. A five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. Take this home to your small child and say, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. What does that mean? And you're son or daughter, young as they are, will understand that. When I am afraid, what do I do? I've turned to God for help. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Why is that so important? Why is that so profound, as simple as it is? See, trust Trust says this. I will rely on God for the danger or threat that is fueling my fear. That's what trust says. I will rely on God to deal with this threat, to deal with this danger that is fueling my fear. See, fear reminds us, and this is, this is why we deal with it, and this is why we don't deal with it so well. Fear reminds us that we cannot control our life. Fear is an ordinary reminder that we are not in control. And strive as we may, as much as we we try to manufacture control, we plan control, we come up with ways of achieving control. That emotion, guys, that emotion God allows, I am convinced virtually every day to remind us we are not in control near as much as we think we are. And that's why that's why fear is so disturbing. Fear reminds us, I can't ensure my own security. I can't ensure my own safety. I can't ensure my own well-being. Or maybe it's not my well-being. Maybe it's my child's well-being. Maybe it's my mom's well-being. Someone you love. You can't control your financial security. You can't control your health. You can't control your kids. You can't control anything. And that's why fear is so crazy. That's why it's so disturbing. Because none of us likes that feeling. None of us likes that feeling of feeling completely out of control. And yet fear... As ordinary is is a whisper in our ear that says you and I are not in control. So what's the remedy? You trust the one who is in control. You put your faith and trust in the God who does all things well, who accomplishes all things after the counsel of that will, who's good and right and wise and kind. We, we, We sang about it, Jesus strong but kind as well. So when we are afraid, what do we do? We put our trust in Him, the God whose word we praise. Listen to John Flavel again. Unbelief leaves our dearest interests and concerns in our own hands. It commits nothing to God. Consequently, it fills the heart with distracting fears when imminent danger threatens us see guys fear is a daily reminder that we are gripping the steering wheel of control when we need to be giving that control over to the Lord by trusting him by trusting him now i want to show you something you can't see this in your english bible but you kind of hear it it sounds repetitive right look back at the text when i am afraid i will put my trust in you in god whose word i praise uh In God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? You say, that sounds repetitious. That's because it's poetry. It's a song. And songs do that, right? Songs repeat things. And sometimes songs arrange things in a way that artistic and poetic. This is what the, the passage looks like if you were to look at this in a Hebrew Bible. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Do you see how it makes kind of the arrow there? Uh, some of you Bible scholars out there know that's called a chiastic structure. It's a, it's a literary device that arranges the words in a way that puts a spotlight on something in particular. And you say, what, what's the spotlight? What, what's the thing being emphasized by this structure? It's the center element. It, it's where the arrow points, if you will, right? So what's the center element here? Really interesting. He says, uh, the center element here is not the fact that I am trusting, but what? who I'm trusting, right? It, 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 it's not the act of faith that's being emphasized here. It's the object of faith that's being emphasized. And it's interesting here. He could have just said, I put my trust in God. But what does he say? What does he call God? He says, I put my trust in God, what? Whose word I praise. Now you're going to see this This little stanza here is part of the chorus. And just like in modern songs, a chorus is often repeated in the song because that's the point of the psalm, right? And you'll see this later on here. But this is the highlight. And you scratch your head and you say, why does he describe God like that? Why does he just say, I I trust in God and everything will be okay? I trust in God. How does he describe him? Whose word I praise. And he's going to use that phrase, over and over and over again, you say, why describe God this way? Answer, because in your fear and my fear, the Word of God is the key. The Word is the key. See, the Word of God is what reveals the character of God and the promises of God. See, what happens in fear is is we turn to God, we put our trust in Him, but that trust... It, listen to me, that trust is only as strong as you believe God to be, right? Uh, if, if you're looking at a let's, let's say you're over Lake Granberry somewhere and there's a little bridge and you're going to cross the, the bridge over a little inlet of water there and you're looking at that thing and you're going, that's pretty rickety, looks like it was built in 1963 and no one's touched it since then, all those summers, Texas heat, Right? You're not going to trust that bridge unless you believe in the integrity of its ability to help you, right? Does that make sense? That's what that's what the psalm is emphasizing here. The God whose word I praise, David is saying, because I know the word, what it teaches me about God, what it tells me about God, that gives me a confidence then that I can trust him for the danger. Does that make sense? Your trust is only as strong as your confidence in the God you're trusting in. Now what's interesting here is he talks about the, the word, and we might wonder what, what, what word that he praises. What, we, we can't get in the mind of David, obviously, but just what you think with me, what, what aspects of the word of God that, that David praises here what aspects of the word of God might have been particularly helpful to him in a moment of danger and fear, right? Well, David wrote all sorts of Psalms. How about this in Psalm 16? I have set the Lord continually before me and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's, that's good, isn't it? That's the type of God I want to trust in. Or, or how about we read it, Psalm 27 this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's all that. So what? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. He's strong enough to defend me. Or how about Psalm 139? You've searched me and known me. You know when I rise up, you know my thoughts from afar. You know, I can't go anywhere from your spirit. If I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. Psalm 139 says God knows me and He's always with me. And guys, it's it's those attributes of God and those promises of God that strengthen our confidence in God so that in the moment of fear... Our trust is strong. We have to rely on the Word of God. You should ask yourself this question. I should ask myself this question. What does the Word of God reveal about Him that can help us in fear? In fact, that's a great little homework assignment. I won't check on you next Sunday or anything. But, you know, as you walk away today and you're saying, I'm dealing with this fear. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with this particular worry. Ask yourself the question. What promises in the Word of God might help me with that? What attributes of God am I tempted to question that I need to reaffirm and and study and memorize that might strengthen my faith to battle this particular fear? Let the Word of God, let the God you're trusting in be the God whose Word you praise and I praise. The Word shows me God and His promises. And those truths demonstrate that He is worthy of my trust, which is going to allow me to not be afraid or fear what might happen. And then here's our chorus. Look at verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And you'll see that that chorus is repeated. Just look down the psalm in verses 10 and 11, and you'll see the chorus repeated with a little bit of variation. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man, or what can man do to me? So that that's the chorus. As you meditate on this psalm, that's where we want to put the emphasis here, right? Those, those elements there. So, so we're thinking about, in the moment of fear, we need a roadmap. We need a way to pursue God in the midst of overwhelming fear. Point one is, we want to turn to God for grace and for help, right? Point two, direct your heart to trust in God, but but not not God-light, not diet God, not God-zero. We want God bolstered by the Word that emphasizes His character and His promises that then strengthen the faith that we're putting in Him. That's pursuit number two. What's the third pursuit? To find God in your fear. Third pursuit, to find God in your fear. It's this. Question your fear in light of your God. Question your fear in light of your God. Look at the end of the chorus. What can mere man... Actually, let's just read it from the top, right? Just to get the whole thing. Verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. End of verse 4. What can mere man do to me? If you listen closely, if you will pay attention... Your fear is talking to you all the time. Your fear tells you things. What might fear sound like? If this happens, I will never be happy again. What does fear sound like? I could never deal with that. I don't know how I could go on. I don't know that I could ever care again. I don't know that I could... That's what fear sounds like. Fear, your fear, my fear, is talking to us. And and, and this is why this is so crucial, guys, because what, what you and I do really well is listen to that. We listen to our fear. We listen to our anxiety. We listen to all of our fallen emotions, and we let those be the the, the governing sources of life. And that leads us in the wrong direction, doesn't it? So watch what David says here. He says, David says, listen to your fear. Listen to what it's saying, and then you push back. He says, question your fear. Question what those fallen emotions are saying to you. Look what he says. He says, um, uh, where are we here? Uh, Verse 4, right? In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Now watch him push back. What can man do to me? He's pushing back on his fear there. He's questioning his fear. Now, I read that, and maybe you read that, and you go, what can man do to me? "Um, I don't know, kill you? People can do a lot. They can take your life. They can take your money. They can injure you. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Lots of things. So David is not here pushing back, saying, Bad things are never going to happen. What he's saying, listen, what he's saying is the hopelessness of the lies of my fear need to be pushed back against in light of what I know about my God. Take what you know about the character of God and the promises of God and push back. Question your own heart in light of those fallen fears. This is that second conversation, right? Remember, conversation number one, David's talking to God, he's communing with God. As he's communing with God, he's remembering things about God, whose word he praises. And then he has that second conversation. He turns to his own heart and he starts pushing back. He starts conversing with his own heart, saying, "What can if that's who God is, the Lord and sustainer of creation, the Savior of humanity, the one who's all-wise, all-knowing, who never leaves us or forsakes us, the one who is faithful and true and kind and merciful. If that's who God is, why am I afraid? Why would I listen to my fallen emotions when that's who my God is? Do you see? One of the evidences of a maturing Christianity is when you and I regularly are pushing back, questioning, interrogating our fallen feelings and thoughts and emotions. Um, A surefire path to destruction and foolishness is letting those fallen things guide and direct us. David is here demonstrating. We push back against that. We preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves of truths. We question those fears in light of what the Word said. Can I ask you a question? Is your fear feeding lies that you're embracing? Are there lies that you're embracing that need to be countered by the Word of God? I think it's so... Isn't that so helpful? It's so insightful. It's like, why can't I do that? We need to get good at doing that. Question your fear in light of God. We've got to keep going here. Verbalize your struggles to God. Verbalize your struggles and desires to God. Look at verse 5. All day long... David continues, they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. Now this is interesting. You see, he's talked to God, then he's talking to himself. Now who's he talking to again? Now he's talking to God again, isn't he? So so he's he's interweaving those two conversations here. We need two conversations, guys. We need to talk to God. We need to talk to ourselves. In this stanza, David is presenting his fears, his concerns, his struggles, and his desires to God. Again, we see him conversing with God, engaging him in prayerful pleas. Why is this important? I don't know if this is your experience or not, but I have found both in my own heart and with people that I have the privilege of talking with at times fear can be incredibly isolating you ever feel like that 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 fear that you're experiencing one of those lies that fear whispers in your ear is no one understands no one gets this no one knows how you feel and fear is one of those emotions that pushes you inside to isolation, maybe even withdrawing from other people. The temptation to fear is to bottle it all inside. And can I plead with you that that is a spiritually destructive practice? You try to keep that all in here, you will implode in your soul. But that's what fear is going to tempt you to do. Mark it. Fear will tempt you to keep it all in here. And it'll tell you all sorts of lies of why you don't want to go talk to people, why your Christian community can't help you, God can't help you, the word's too simplistic, and you've got to push back against that. And it's good here. David is modeling here something good. He's not keeping it inside. He's crying out to God. And and notice, he says some things that are unedited. Because that's what you sound like and I sound like when we're crying out to God in fear. It's instructive that God seems. Um, it's interesting here too. Even recognizing that that the, the the poetry here, the example of how God puts this in our Psalm, uh, that the the poetry itself is instructive, because David is not only talking to God, he's written a song to God, expressing his. He's written music to do that. And you say, why is that helpful? It seems. That God has designed poetry and music to help us both express our struggles to God and to receive His graces through them. Do you believe that? I believe God designed music on purpose as illustrated in the Psalms and other places in the Bible as a means of expressing ourselves to God in ways that just prose doesn't work. And a means to receive the grace of God. I mean, when we were singing a minute ago, were there things happening in your soul? As you sing about Jesus holding you fast, stilling your soul, gospel promises at work, does that do something in your heart like it does in mine? That, that's by God's design. And I think we forget that the book of Psalms is music, it's poetry, it's songs. It's, it's songs and and so maybe maybe part of the takeaway here is this when you're struggling with fear come to the book of psalms come to the poetry book come to the music book take those modern hymns and songs that that are meaningful to you use them in your combat with fear use them to express to God, how you're feeling. Let the music of of theologically robust lyrics and excellent music soothe your soul as a means of grace. I don't know about you. Music is a very, very, very important part of my spiritual health. Have a playlist called When I Am Afraid. And put some songs on there that are going to allow you to k- express how you're feeling to God and to receive His truth. Remember the meditation, the character of God, the God whose word I praise? Well, get some songs that put the word in music and then meditate. And let that help your heart. Look back at verse 7 for a minute. We might wonder, what, what's going on here? David's request in verse 7. Cast forth. Put down the peoples, Right? In anger, put them down, and and, and we look at that. And we go, are we supposed to emulate that or not? Is that like, do we leave that one out? Or this is one of those what we call imprecatory psalms. It's not really an imprecatory psalm, but it, but it's a psalm that has an imprecatory verse. You say, what does that mean? It, it, it's a psalm or a line where the psalmist is asking God to judge or even destroy an enemy. And we can take this a couple of ways. We know in the context, if we go back to First Samuel and look at the history there, that God did indeed take the kingdom away from Saul and did indeed give it to David. And David knows because of God's decree that he's going to be the king, that he's going to live, and, and Saul is not going to prevail. He knows that because God's told him. So maybe what David is doing here is he's simply asking God to be true to his promise. Right? That, that's a possibility, and, and, and that would be a legitimate request. But, but I wonder, and again, we, we, can't, we can't know for sure, so this is conjecture, but I wonder, could it be, as is often the case, maybe David is asking an ungodly request in the heat of his overwhelming fear. I know I do that. When you're dealing with overwhelming, strong, burdensome emotion do you always talk in godly ways? Do you always ask for godly things? Again, I I know my own heart and and I know that in that moment I am prone to be very ungodly in what I say and what I do and even what I request God to do. So, So maybe this is an honest request based upon what God told him. Maybe this is David doing what all of us do at times, where he is reacting in emotion, requesting something that's actually an ungodly request. But what is good about this, however we take that part of the passage, what is good is David is not bottling up his fear. He's taking his fear to God. He's engaging in dialogue. He's looking to God for help. And he's pursuing him in song and music and not isolating. And I think that is a very, very healthy thing to do. So turn to God Bring out your struggles. Don't bottle it up and engage him in music. Engage him in song as a means to find God in your fear. Let's look at the next pursuit. Recognize God's detailed attention to your trials and suffering. Recognize God's detailed attention to your trials and suffering. Speaking of bottling up, verse 8. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I don't know too many places in the Bible where God pulls back the curtain a bit and says, Can I tell you how much I care about you? What's the value of one tear in sorrow? To God, according to this verse, it's worth preserving. Do you do what I do that when in fear and anxiety hit us, We can be tempted to believe all sorts of things about God that aren't true. That He's not with me. That He doesn't care. That my trial isn't big enough for Him to help. That He's out to get me. That He's punishing me. That He's not good. I think. I think that one of the biggest temptations in our fear is that God simply doesn't care about us, and if He would care, He would take the danger away. And so David writes, "Let me tell. Let me tell you how much your God cares about you. There is no wasted tear that God." not only knows about, but stores. They're in his bottle. They're accounted for in his book. God God understands our struggle even more than we do. And he cares. And he knows. Be careful what you believe about God when you're dealing with fear. This verse is a corrective to remember how much God cares, how much he knows, what he's like so that we can push away all those lies that we believe, we're tempted to believe in our fear. And if that's not enough, can I show you the climax of the psalm? I didn't know this. I I I I'm not a musician. I I bang around on a couple of instruments, but I, I have no musical training. I know nothing about music. Um, I, 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 look up to all of you who do. And in heaven, I look forward to playing as well as you do. Um, I did some research on this. It's pretty common in how people craft songs. And I never thought about this, but then I kind of ran through my playlist and I thought, this is often true, even in, you know, eighties power ballads, like I like, um, the, the climax of the the climax of the song happens going into the chorus. Usually not in the first verse, but usually going into the last verse in, in typical kind of Western, you know, popular music. And I thought, you know what? Th- that wasn't a, a function of like 70s and 80s rock genre. This is way back in the first century, the, the, the 10th century BC when David's writing this. He puts the climax right in front of the chorus, the last instance of the chorus. I thought that was interesting. What's the high point? What's the climax of the chorus? Remind yourself that God is for you. Remind yourself that God is for you. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, for this I know, that God is for me. Again, we see him, he's talking to God, and then he talks to his soul. He talks to God, and he talks to his soul. He was just talking to God, then he turns and he says, and this is what I know, that God is on my side. God is for me. I'm on his team. He says this side, in fact, David, it's interesting, David uses a verb form here, you can't see it in the English. He picks a verb form that emphasizes his certainty. I know this to be true, he says that God's for me. I can trust him. He's with me. He's there with me. And you wonder if maybe the apostle Paul when he picked up his pen to write Romans chapter 8 was had spent his quiet time that morning in Psalm 56. Cuz what does he write in Romans 8 the New Testament version of this how's it go if God is for us who can be against us. Guys, if if David could write this in the 10th century BC knowing only in part from his Bible, what we know in the fullness of revelation, the personal work of Jesus, the the, the complete rendition of the gospel, that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again as a means for us to be reconciled to God. And when we turn from our sin to trust him, God brings us and adopts us into his family. And he says, I want you to know nothing can ever separate me from you. And he goes on about it. Death and life and angels and demons and principalities and on and on and on. Right? Nothing can separate you. What good news is that? If we have God, we have everything. If God never leaves, if He's always at our side, if, if uh, what David is going to say in Psalm 16, right? since He is at my right hand, I'm not be shaken. If that's true, listen, there is no legitimate threat if God's with us and He's for us and He'll never lead us. Remind yourself that God is with you. Repeat your praise of your Father's Word. Repeat your praise of your Father's Word. I I told you this is going into the chorus again, right? Here's the chorus. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, and just like in modern songs, the chorus is repeated. And again, that's instructive here. That's instructive. What what does he go back to? In God, whose word I praise, he's back on that. It's not just I trust in God; it's I trust in God, whose word I praise. We talked about why the word has to be central. But notice he doesn't say in in the God that I know from the Bible. That's not what he says. How does he say it? In God, whose word I. Do you notice the repetition? I think he says it four times in the psalm. It's the most repeated phrase in the psalm. The God whose word I praise. The God whose word I praise. The Lord whose word I praise. Why is it about praising this God in the word? (laughs) Because that's the secret. That's the secret. Fear doesn't flee when we turn to God one time. Fear is drowned out by the continual repetition of praise coming from your heart to God over the riches of His Word. That's how you get rid of fear. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing activity of praising God for what we know in the Word. Just as thankful prayer crowds out anxiety, so ongoing praise strangles the life of fear. And just try it. Try it. You can't fear if you're too busy praising God for His great character and promises. You can't do it. Fear is eradicated by continual praise of the God of Scripture. That's how we get rid of it. But did you notice what happened here? In God whose word I praise in... What's the next? He repeats it. You think it's just poetry. He's repeating it. There's a word change. What does it say? In the Lord. In Yahweh. This is one of the rare occasions when that personal name of God shows up in this section of our Psalms. And what's it doing? That, that word, you know this, that, that personal name of God, Yahweh, points way, way back to God's revelation of Himself, to Moses. I am that I am. This is the personal covenant-keeping, faithful God. So why why in the middle of a song about fear would David remind us that God keeps His promises, that we can trust Him, that we can rely on Him, that He's personal? Because that's exactly what we need to know, isn't it? Renew your, tr- uh, uh, Repeat your praise of your Father's Word. It's about praising God in His Word. And if you're praising God, I guarantee you, you're not going to be fearing. Renew your trust and do not fear. Rechallenge your heart. This is the repetition of the chorus. Look at verse 11. "In God, I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me?" The chorus continues, right? God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And again, why is the chorus repeated here? It's not just because it's a song, it's instructive. This is emphasizing that constant dialogue with God about the situation, coupled with constant dialogue to yourself about God and His promises, is the key to warding off fear. Notice again the repetition. You must engage the lies of your fear, the lies of your fears. You must be active. You must counter the poisonous lies of your fears with sweet truths of God and His ways in a dialogue of praise to him you and i have to be active in responding to our fear by meditating and praising god you say okay pastor keith how long do i have to do this this sounds a little bit like i got to put some work into this you do this until your fear subsides what does paul tell the philippians you pray to god with thankfulness presenting your request to god until you have peace If you don't have peace in your anxiety, keep praying. If you still experience fear in a moment, keep praising, keep meditating, keep pushing back against your lies until praise replaces your fear, until turbulence inside is replaced with a quiet heart of humble joy. Now, watch this. Last thing, publicize your thanks your father's deliverance publicize your thanks for your father's deliverance look at verse 12 your vows are binding upon me O god i will render thank offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death indeed my feet from stumbling so that i may walk before god in the light of the living now historically we know because we can go back and read the story that god did choose to deliver david from saul in this particular instance right we know that And David writes the last couple of stanzas here, and he says, thank you, God, that you delivered me. But what's interesting, what's amazing, follow me on this, David's thanksgiving and praise started long before he was delivered, didn't it? David didn't wait till God saved his life, and then he went, okay, now I'll start praising. David's praise started at the origin of his fear. And he moved to a place of contentment and trust and joy and praise and thankfulness. And then God chose to deliver him. You say, "What's the point?" Whether God takes the danger behind your fear away or not, it is right to do what David does here. What does he do? He says, "Let me tell you what a great God we have." He says, "Your your, your, your um where does it say there?" He says, "Your vows are binding upon me. I will render thank offerings to you." You say, "What's that?" That's a public sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. David is saying, I'm not going to keep quiet about this. God brought me to peace. He brought me to praise. He brought me out of my fear. And I don't want to be silent about it. I want to tell others about it. And you know this, guys. One of the ways that we bless one another, we minister to one another in our fear is we recount victories to one another. Of praise in terms of what God has done in helping us. Has God helped you in a season of fear? Has God brought you to a place of help and confidence and praise? Don't be quiet about it. Share it, sing it, tell it to others as a means of honoring Him and helping others. Listen to John Newton. When I think of my heart, of the world, of the powers of darkness, what cause of continual fear. I am on the enemy's ground. I cannot move one step, but some snare is spread for my feet. But when I think of the person, the grace, the power, the care, and the faithfulness of my Savior, why may I not say, I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our stronghold. I wish to be delivered from an anxious and unbelieving fear which weakens his hands and disquiets the heart. I wish to increase in a humble jealousy and distrust of myself and of everything about me. I am perfect, imperfect in both respects, but I hope my desire is to him who has promised to do all things for me. What a great place to land in our fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you meet us in our fear and provide us with such grace and wisdom. Will you help us to turn to you, to praise you, to recount your character, and then to share your help and your deliverance and your amazing ways of assistance to us. May we, pr- may we share those with others. Lord, thank you that you know us so well, that you care about us so intimately, and that we can trust you. Lord, help us in whatever season of fear we find ourselves to draw near to you and trust you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.